Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 103 of the podcast. We're hopping into the time machine, traveling back to 1972 again. Over multiple episodes a month, I have brought on blogger Alan Stewart from Attack of the 50-Year-Old Comic Book. And we were talking last year all about those comics that came out in 1972. Now this show, we're covering November 1972, and ideally the show was meant to come out last November, but sometimes life things happen, and here it is. Now, 1972 had a lot of fascinating things happening throughout. It has to do with this being the early years of the Bronze Age, which I think is much more creative than the Silver Age. I believe it has a lot to do with the loosening of the comic code, which allowed more genres and different things to appear. Plus, publishers began to experiment with new formats, which made for some fantastic reads. You'll find a link tree for Alan's past episodes and his blog. Check out his blog. He's so informative, so great. And another thing, there's a link tree on the Fantastic Comic Fan in the show notes also. So please follow the podcast on social media and subscribe. I want the podcast to continue to grow. And as I said, introduce fans to a different way of covering comic books. Now, on to today's show. Welcome back to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I have one of my favorite guests on. And I'm not saying that because I'm way, way overdue on having him best on the podcast. This is Alan Stewart. He does Attack of the 50-Year-Old Comic Book. I approached Alan back in the spring of this year. And I'm like, Alan, why don't you come on and do the podcast? And Alan was like, and I've told the story every time Alan's on. <laughs> Alan's like, I don't know, man. This, I don't know. And now Alan's been on several times. And it, the first time around, we were covering chunks of the year of 1972 and then all of a sudden we started breaking it down into um uh months and last time alan was on we did october of 1972 this time around we're doing november 1972 had i on my end of things had my self together we would have taped already and this would have went out in november but <laughs> life happened Alan was still gracious. To, Alan was gracious enough to forgive me. Alan, before we talk about November 1972, tell the listeners a little bit about your blog, what you do, how it's been going, and do that whole spiel again that we've done <laughs> how many times? I could almost sure. do it. For, I could That's... almost do it for you by now because I know the whole story. So, but That's... tell tell the listeners, please. Well, well, maybe do like the the capsule version today. There we go. Um, it's um. I've been doing it since 2015, which was the year that marked the 50th anniversary of my own buying and reading of comic books at the age of eight. So you can do the math, I guess, if you want to, to figure out how old I am. No, that's um, good, because that, that puts me close <laughs> to my age somewhere in the ballpark, and that, we just kind of forget about ages. So. Right. And um, yeah, the idea is just that I I write about I started basically with the first comic book that I could remember remember buying off the stands for myself, which was an issue of Superman. 
um, in August of, of 1965. And that's basically just been, um, I write about comics that I bought new off the stands uh, at the time. So um, I didn't buy any marbles until 1968. So like the first two or three years, it's almost all DC with a smattering of uh, some gold key in there. Um, and it's been, it's pretty heavily after 68, it's pretty heavily um, Marvel and DC back and forth. But um, so we may be talking about some things today that, um, you know, if we look at like at the entire month, we may be looking at some things that I didn't buy because I just wasn't, you know, smart enough to buy them. You know, <laughs> I'm at the mercy of the blog. But at any rate, I, I like to write about, um, you know, my perceptions of those books at the, to the best of my ability, um, the way that I saw those books at the time that I first bought them and read them, um, and then compare that with, um, with my jaded, mature perceptions, uh, at, at the age of 65 or, um, 65-ish, yeah. 65-ish, um, and then also I have just, just because I find comic book history to be fascinating um i usually if i can if it's possible i try to include some some background information about about the creators or about the circumstances of this particular uh comic or of um just you know it's something that that's that's interesting that, that you may not get from just like actually reading the comic book itself that's at least that's the that's the idea that's the hope and it is at 50 year old comics Dot com and that's 50 written as a number and that'll be in the show notes now that's one of the things that really impressed me is because you do that scholarly objective approach with all the great information and alan i have to admit over the course of the year that we've been doing this all these months you've kind of created a frankenstein monster with me because my <laughs> contributions at one time were very small and as the months <laughs> have gone on i have right. just been getting steeped in information and data and you're usually I try to cover comic books that are in a digital format with Alan. I also get hooked up in the historical context. And 1972 has been a very fascinating, cool year of all kinds of great stuff that's happened to it. And like uh, Alan here, we both get lost on Mike's Amazing World, which is a wonderful uh, website. They have a newsstand section. You click in a month or a year, whatever, and it pops up everything that came out during that time frame. It's really an invaluable research. And as Alan knows, I get lost in that app. <laughs> and Alan's like, Ron, you know, we're only on for X amount of time. We do not have time for a four-hour podcast. Okay, Alan, I'll cut down my notes a little bit. So <laughs> we, again, we are going to be doing November 1972. And last time we did this, I was like, Alan, I'm kind of hogging the time. I don't want to take away from what you've done. Yeah. He goes, he's like, but I'll, 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 I'll manage to get something together. I'm like, okay, Alan, we'll, we'll make it work. Alan, we were talking, I said, there was 146 comics because I count in mm. November, 1972. And what modern fans don't realize is that there was no comic book shop, no internet, no real fan press, no website. Right. Comic books are distributed through grocery stores, party stores, mom and pop stores, Sometimes mm -hmm. there was a spinner rack. Sometimes you were on the ground flipping through a stack of comic books and sure. distribution was wonky. So a comic book that you found this month might not appear next month. You never knew what you're going to find. 
And it was kind of hard for comic books to really stand out. So during this month of November, I said 146, DC was in second place with 20. I'm sorry. Yeah, they were in second place, 29. Marvel had 30. Archie had 24. Charlton, my comic book company that could because they were that comic book company that lasted from the golden age to the bronze age. Nobody gives it the respect it deserves. It's really the Rodney Dangerfield of comic books. <laughs> they were always doing something. Let me plug Two Morals Publishing. Two Morals Publishing just put out the Charlton Companion, which right. covers everything Charlton Comics. I bought it. Indispensable. Harvey had 18 and Goki had 18. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start off with you, Alan. What struck your fancy about November? Well, we'll start, I guess, with um, with DC and start with, it's kind of like following on from I think where we ended in October talking about um, monster comics. DC, it's interesting. Marvel responded to the loosening of the comics code authorities rules regarding vampires, werewolves, etc., um, which happened in early 1971. Marvel responded basically by just kind of going all all in on monster characters continuing characters such so, so you got tomb of dracula werewolf by night ghost rider as man, ghost rider man, man mm-hmm. thing man thing as of um as of october uh you you and you got their uh first issue of frankenstein in october of 1972 forgot about that one D- yeah dc pretty much tended to s- kind of stay with the tried and true that they'd been doing in their you know, mystery, and I use air quotes, you know, when I say mystery. And I use the um, word spooky. T- I use the word spooky, spooky titles. Spooky, yes. Code-approved code approved horror comics, if you want to call them that. They, I think, maybe started throwing in the odd werewolf or vampire into an history of House of Mystery or Witching Hour, but they largely didn't make a whole lot of changes. So it's kind of unusual that in November, issue of Phantom Stranger comes out, and Phantom Stranger is one of, like, the few like series horror mystery spooky characters that they have um and of course he's been around for a while the other characters who would sort of like fall into that um continuing characters who would fall into that category i guess would be jack kirby's the demon who's only been around i think since july or august maybe yeah and then uh swamp thing who as a series character has only been around for for a few months as well um, Phantom Stranger has been around a bit longer, but in November, Phantom Stranger started a new backup series. They, they had as a backup series pretty much since before about, I guess, the last year, uh, Dr. 13, the Ghost Breaker, who, like the Phantom Stranger, is a character who originally appeared in the 50s, who was revived uh, like the Phantom Stranger in the late 60s. And for a while, he was appearing in the Phantom Stranger comic as kind of a foil the problem there, of course, is that if you're the ghost breaker and your whole, mo- you know, your whole, you know, thing is that you know, the supernatural is not real. It's all fraud. You know, it's all, you know, uh, it's like Scooby-Doo. It's like people dressed up in costumes using special effects. It's, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to like, you know, bust these frauds. And then he's going up against the Phantom Stranger, who is an actual supernatural figure dealing with supernatural threats. It, that was sort of problematic. So they ended up putting him in his own backup series. Then all of a sudden, in November, uh, Phantom Stranger 23, we have a brand new series, The Spawn of Frankenstein. 
uh, which is uh, written by Marv Wolfman with art by Michael Kaluta, both of whom are relative, well, I say relative newcomers. Wolfman's, I think, first work came out in 68, but he'd been sort of kind of on the periphery for the last couple of years and hadn't really established himself. But so still relatively, relative newcomers. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, DC decided to get into the monster business with this one backup feature uh, with a traditional, you know, literary gothic horror monster, Frankenstein. And it starts out almost exactly the same way that that Marvel's Frankenstein did with an expedition in the Arctic, chopping the body of the Frankenstein monster out of the ice. And then it kind of, but it goes its own way from that. It's very different. And the art is, is just is very, very striking. It's the main reason, I suppose, that I would recommend it to readers today is for the art. Kaluta is somebody who's still around and working, primarily doing covers here and there. But um, it's just, it's it's terrific work. I don't know that it's available digitally. I have an idea that it's not. No, you okay. know, this fan of Stranger, I believe, had a showcase run before it started. And it mm -hmm. ran from issue number one all the way through issue 41, which came out somewhere around 1976. So I had a good run, but I believe like the only first 10, 15, maybe 20 issues are available on the app. As okay. I said before, DC does a lousy job of adding its back stuff to the app. Uh, right. but, but recently I have to give them credit uh, they have with their new uh, infinite service called Ultra. Right. They right. added a lot of uh, trade paperbacks. So now you can read the golden age adventures of detective comics from like the very first appearance of uh, Batman detective. Through, mm -hmm. I don't know how many, but the individual issues aren't on the app. Okay. So they have it in digital format, but they won't strip out the digital issues to make them individual. So they are getting better, but they do a right. lousy they do a lousy job with the Bronze Age. Unlike Marvel, who does a great job of putting so much of their older content on, and I'm right. going off topic. But no, you're I'm right not, about the that's, fan. A, that's okay. The Phantom Stranger is a great run. If even the first ten issues on the app are really good. Now, is this the Frankenstein monster that continued all the way straight through till now? Is it the same one? You know, I'm. That's a good question because DC has had so many continuity reboots. You know, if if the if you mean like you know Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, or whatever it is yeah, that yeah. he's called, has been around since like I think um, Grant Morrison introduced that version in Seven Soldiers, and then he I think he's had a he came back in the New Fifty Two, and he's still around. I think maybe he's I think maybe he's in Dark Crisis. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, they're both. I mean, it's a, it's a literary character. It's the oh. it's the Frankenstein monster that Mary Shelley created. I think in both cases, he does. He's not drawn the same. I'll say that the the one that Kaluta drew was um, very um, sort of very rangy, gaunt, and generally colored green. And I think the um, I think the uh, the one that that's currently I don't know who designed him, but the one that's currently appearing in DC Comics is a bit more of a bit big strapping broad-shouldered fellow that has a little bit more of a resemblance to the the Boris Karloff square-headed Frankenstein that um, that most people think of when they think of the character. You know, when you sit there and, and try to explain and go through the meta, the meta <laughs> stuff of, you know, the DC universe, especially because DC, right. uh, DC, unlike Marvel, Marvel doesn't reboot everything every, like, no. five years, where DC does. I was just looking at the character and... I'm just going to read this little bit. It goes, 
The spawn of Frankenstein did survive the crisis as shown in Young All Stars 1890. Right, 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 okay. right, right. However, he was seemingly later replaced in continuity by Frankenstein. This is presumably a consequence of the real, reality altering zero hour. I'm yes, like, oh. yes. <laughs> and my, my, my eyes just glazed over. Well, exactly. You know, it says you can blame crisis and infinite earth. You can blame zero hour. You can blame infinite crisis. You can blame flashpoint. You can blame, I don't know, yeah. doomsday clock. I mean, whatever, you know, it's like, who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're right. DC did not embrace much of the characters. And for that month, a third, 11 of their titles, were some kind of spooky themed stuff. Isn't isn't that interesting? It's just it, I mean, it's it's so different than than today's. Yeah, even Teen Titans and I and I was um, going down mm-hmm. rabbit holes. This Teen Titans was a spooky themed, and they had been doing sp- spooky themed from thirty two issue thirty two and seventy one all the way through forty three. So that whole big run, wow. every issue was spooky. And this is also the last issue of the Teen Titans until the Bronze Age later oh, revival in the 70s, which right, I right. didn't realize. But I'm like, wow, I mean, the Teen Titans, because the, to me, they never seemed to like really, that really run with Teen Titans. They really didn't know mm-hmm. what to do with the Teen Titans. First, they started off as the sidekicks. Then they lost right. their costumes and, and joined this, yeah. this, this hippie type thing. And, and then the last chunk of it was all just spooky stuff. And they really never... Yeah you know knew what to do with it yeah it's sort of it it sort of kind of got yanked around from one direction to another but my my personal favorites are the are the issues that steve skates wrote kind of at the tail end of that no powers thing and moving into the, the later period that like you said just ends in, with this month um steve skates nick cardi stuff that that was that's a, that's still a lot of fun i think but it, it didn't last very long at all yeah, I had not actually realized that that the Titans had that trend towards the end of of spooky monster type, you know, threats. But you're right. That's, neither that's, would that's I, what Alan. They were doing. Neither would I, Alan. This is all on you. This is your fault. <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole and I pulled out all these obscure um, bits of information. Speaking of obscure bits of information, sure. Brave, Brave and the Bold 105 has a team up with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that was the last appearance of Wonder Woman in her in her white outfit. I think I think it must have been because yeah. because yeah, it's this was the month the same month that, uh, that that she that they go back to the old yeah I mean bullets for, and bracelets you know that was the other thing I'm spangled. like yeah because Wonder Woman 204 for fans who don't realize for a while there for several years Wonder Woman was depowered. She wasn't around the Amazon. She rode this white leotard outfit. She was right. a martial arts person. Her name was, uh, it was more Diana Prince than Wonder Woman. She had right. a mentor named Ai Ching. Mm-hmm. And then, and that was all in 203. And then 204, you have this huge whiplash. <laughs> I mean, right. a complete whiplash where the mentor Ai Ching dies. She gets right. her power back. She gets her costume back. The Amazons are back. Her mother's back. It was yeah. also the first appearance of Nubia. Oh my goodness. That was like, you know, and that's right. from one issue to the next. And they're and going, yeah, go on. I, I have to confess, I haven't actually, I don't think to the state I've actually read this issue, but I, I was reading somebody else, uh, another friend of mine, uh, Ben Herman, who, who writes a blog, wrote about like the facsimile um, edition that DC just released to mark, I guess, the 50th anniversary of Nubia. 
uh, they just brought this out as a reprint, but it was just pointing out the fact that I think she also has like a partial memory loss. Yes. So it's like, so it's like they kind of allows the new returning writer editor, Robert Kaniger to sort of, is basically just ignore, you know, he's, and he kills off Ching or whatever. Then it's sort of like when I can pretty much ignore everything else that's happened for the last four years. And it, it, it wasn't, and it was a four year period. I mean, that's really in comics. That's, that's a long time. That um, that is, and you know, for you know, Nubia is big now, but for years and years and years, Nubia was nothing more than a footnote. Nobody right, talked about right. it. She never appeared, sure. and all of a sudden, now she's part of this big Wonder Woman family. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's cool that you know they're embracing the the the, the character, but right, Nubia wasn't around that much um, <laughs> for a long, long time. But yeah, because I'm looking at the issue, I'm going, okay, there's and it's it's a striking there's. There's Batman and, and Brave and the Bull carrying a limp body of, of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And then you've got her over in the, the, the other thing with her costume. I'm like, what the heck happened here? How, what the? But again, we know fans who ever read Brave and the Bull know that Bob Penny, the writer, pretty yeah. much had his own universe. He just wrote whatever he wanted and ignored continuity for the most part. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Batman was a very different creature during the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. He was much different than now. The character, how the stories were. Most of right. the Bronze Age stories, none of the Rogues Gallery was there. Most of the issues were one-shots, and it focused mm-hmm. more on the man and detective persona than the creature of the night or right. any of the the other stuff. And not only did none of the Rogues Gallery, no Joker, Catwoman, Riddler... But a lot of what people now see as the Batman family weren't in the in the Batman stuff. You know, Dick right. Grayson as Robin for the longest time also wasn't anywhere around. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't team up with bats very often. And unlike yeah. and unlike every today, once in a while. Yeah. And unlike today, where there's more Batman than you could ever possibly read <laughs> in a, ever in a month, right. there was only two Batman titles for this whole month of November, it was Detective yeah. and Brave and the Bold, which is like a, such a stark contrast yes. to, you know, today where you got the rogues and this and you got Dick Grace and, and Jason Todd and all these characters and spinoffs mm-hmm. and spinoffs and everything. It was just a really, it, yeah. but the Bronze Age were, were a nice story. They were all done in one and they still make for some really great reads back then. Sure. I don't know exactly when it happens, but there's, um, you know, the, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, you know, Batman, which is sort of like kind of the, the gold standard, I think, for most fans for the early Bronze Age Batman, that their collaboration is pretty much winding down at this point. But they've got like they've got one more left and it's the issue that brought back the Joker and sort of brought him back as not not a silly clown right but but a, you know, psych, like, yeah the maniac. crazy cycle that still yeah is there to and, that, and that's and and i think once that's done i think sort of that sort of doesn't try to open the floodgates but it makes it a little bit easier for other for other writers and o'neill as well who continued i think as an occasional writer on the book yeah to bring back you know penguin to bring back riddler and by the by the i think by the late 70s they're pretty much all Back All into the yes, much back. yes, Scarecrow, the whole whole crew. You know, licensed comics are popular now. You know, uh, the mm-hmm. Conan, the Star Trek, you know, all that stuff. Comic books have a history of doing licensed comic books, 
But even to this day, Marvel and DC really don't never really dabbled in licensed comic books all that much. You know what I mean? Right. You know, back back, you know, during this time, the big licensors, and I found this interesting, were both Charlton and Gold Key. Mm-hmm. Gold Key and Charlton at this time were both into heavily licensed comics. Now, Gold Key had Star Trek, Disney, uh, some Silver and Tweety and Sylvester. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlton had all the Hanna-Barbera with Jetsons, Pebbles, and Bam Bam. All that stuff. And I'm just like, these guys had to make money off these comic books. And you would think that <laughs> Marvel and DC would have like dipped their toes in it, if nothing else, to steal market share. Right, right. They never really did. And I just found it odd. Yeah. And on top of that, Charlton was like the little comic book company that could. They were never really a big player. A lot of their comic books were pretty shoddy. But yet, you know, they were managed to score, you know, for example, the Hanna-Barbera. Why didn't Goki get Hanna-Barbera? How the heck did Charlton, right. you know, manage to score? Because they were really never are ever a big, high-quality comic book. They were more into just churning out comic books month after month. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some good sure. stuff there. And Steve Dicko, Dick Gordano, John mm-hmm. Byrne, Jill Staten, all, you know, were part of you know, right. Charlton Comics at one time. Sure. So, but I, I just found that, that yeah. very interesting. I, and I think there's a story, and I don't know, maybe it's, I haven't seen the Tomorrow's Charlton Companion yet. I've seen ads for it, but I haven't actually seen a copy. So I, I don't know if, if they covered this. I, I think there actually is a story about how Charlton managed to swing the Hanna-Barbera contract and then how they lost it a few years later, because I think, the um the foreign uh licensors complained that you know that the characters were off model you know, that the art wasn't wasn't good enough or whatever and so i think it ended up may have gone to marvel for a while i don't know i'm sure somebody will you know uh leave a note on the uh on the on the sh- on your website or something yes. that indicate that it's yeah oh, he's got all that wrong i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure You'll get some get some nasty feedback because I'm probably talking out of turn, but that's that, no. I think that's what happened. You're um, probably right. I have not yeah. gone through the whole Charlton Companion because it's a long book, and I'm like I'm always overwhelmed with stuff that needs to be sure. done. But it's a, sure. what I've looked at. It's actually really good. I, I, I did that while we're on these 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 wonky other publishers outside of DC and Marvel. Archie's girls, Betty and Veronica, two hundred six came out this month, mm-hmm. and. A lot of people downplay Archie and Archie's been around since the golden age. It's one of, sure. but actually, if you really want to be truthful only, well, you know what? It was, yeah. Okay. Was DC comics, DC comics in the fifties, they were still, or were they national periodicals? What were they considered? I think, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it, um, I think the official name of the company was national periodicals publications until, so, into the 70s. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure exactly when the corporate but, thing but changed DC Comics. Marvel was, before Marvel was Marvel, it was Timely and Atlas. So really, right. Archie and DC were the mm-hmm. only comic books that kept their names from the golden age through right. now. Right, because yeah. DC had that seal. I mean, you know, yeah. DC, a Superman DC comic, whatever, was there from like for the longest time. Now, what's interesting about this, you know, like Betty and Veronica is that Archie actually just last month archived the last Betty and Veronica title 
they archived all 347 issues. Right. I just right. like, I mean, I love Archie. <laughs> I do read Archie. <laughs> for Archie fans, for Archie's fans, every Archie comic book, whether it's new or old, is available mm-hmm. to borrow for free through Comiscology Unlimited. Yeah. For free. I mean, anything that comes out today, right now, you can read. But they did a, a title, Betty and Veronica, 347 issues. And they've got like one bronze age of action comics DC does. <laughs> I, ooh, that just, you know. Yeah. Also notable this month was Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which yeah. is much different than the Sabrina that people know about now. And again, my Archie, they don't have single issues, but they have two huge omnibuses that collects. The first volume was like, I think, from the Silver Age. And then the second volume was a big chunk of the Bronze Age, but they're like 500 pages and they have chronologically reprinted all the Sabrina, you know, stories. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. and I can't get DC to do a single action comic from gosh, like 1975 or 76. And yeah, but the app is getting better. I I, am, I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that it continues to get better, but I I just, it makes me, it makes me completely feral when I, when I talk about, um, (laughs) the lack of stuff on DC. What about Marvel with you? What do you got going on with Marvel this month? A couple of interesting things going on with Marvel this month. A couple of, of women warriors, uh, both debuted or, or at least debuted in comics this month, um, beginning with uh, In Conan the Barbarian, uh, issue 23, featured the first appearance of Red Sonja. Um, she's not on the cover, either pictured or or even mentioned in a blurb. Um, I think her first appearance comes like about midway through the comic, like in the in the bottom tier of panels. I mean, they didn't really make a big deal of her debut at all. And she, of course, as most people know, is a Robert E. Howard character. She's sort of a Robert E. Howard character. She's sort of a a a, a creation of, of Roy Thomas and and Barry Windsor Smith because um, this issue was a adaptation of a. Robert E. Howard short story, Robert E. Howard being the the pulp author of the 30s, 20s and 30s, who created Conan. It's a historical adventure set, I believe, in the 16th century at the Siege of Vienna. And the Red Sonja who appears in that is like a you know, pistol-toting you know, soldier, you know, mercenary soldier, um, who has her own backstory and everything else. And um, basically, they uh, Thomas and Windsor Smith you know, lifted that character out. Changed the spelling of her name, Red Sonia, in the um, in the short story, The Shadow of the Vulture, was spelled with a Y, and they changed it to be a J. So it's like you're yeah, putting our own mark on this character. She's sort of Howard's character, but not entirely. To me, it's sort of ironic that she sort of has. It's become one of those things that, as much as Marvel put into the creation of that character or the development of that character, they have actually no rights to the character. Um, that it's part of it's part of the Robert E. Howard, you know, IP. And so Dynamite Comics, you know, has that now. So it just, I don't know, it just, it's, it's, it's weird how that sort of thing works. But at any rate, it's, uh, this is her first appearance. Uh, it leads into, of course, uh, December's Conan the Barbarian 24, which is, uh, features the song of Red Sonja, which very much focuses on her. And it's probably, you know, one of the 
one of the great comic books of this era, but we'll save that for December's discussion. Um, the other woman warrior who debuts in November 1972 is the Valkyrie. The real Valkyrie. The, the, the real first, Valkyrie. <laughs> not, not the Valkyrie that people know from Thor movies and not the Jane Foster Valkyrie, but well, the okay. real Valkyrie. Okay, yeah. I, I hate to say the real Valkyrie, you know, not the one in the movies, because obviously the one in the movies exists as a version of the comic book Marvel yeah, Comics. Yeah, you're right. Kind um, of, sort it's, of. And... But but it's also I mean they also have created at least two versions of the Valkyrie since the Thor Ragnarok movie came out that look and sound and act more like the one in the movie. So and so it so yeah and some it's kind of like Red Sonja you know it's sort of the same character and sort of a different character. But anyway the the Valkyrie a version of the Valkyrie first appeared in Avengers eighty three which came out in nineteen seventy. But that was just basically the Enchantress, you know, the Asgardian villainess uh, from Thor and Avengers comics. It was just the Enchantress in disguise as a sort of a, this parody of a of a of a radical feminist up against the wall, male chauvinist pigs, um, etc. And so, pretty much her visual debut then, and it's kind of the basic concept. And then about a year later, Roy Thomas had written that issue of Avengers brought in um brought her back as a sort of as a false persona created by the enchantress and sort of like foisted upon uh this mortal human woman named samantha parrington but that valkyrie went away at the end of this issue of hulk uh that had that where she made her one and for a long time only appearance and then finally a year later um i think it's just basically steve Englehart who's writing the defenders comic decided he needed a character who wasn't who didn't have wasn't going to have all their own character development happening in their own series like Doctor Strange or Submariner or the Hulk he may also have, have thought maybe we need it to be a little bit less of a sausage fest and have a female presence on the team and so he brought in again it's the same sort of idea of a false persona sort of created out of this whole cloth by the enchantress who's implanted on a on a into a mortal woman who then sort of just that personality just kind of goes away and it's the valkyrie but several things um Engelhart played down i think to his to his credit played down the more uh extreme sort of um, parody of feminism uh aspects of the character she was still very much like you know yeah women are great you know, go women, um, but was much less, you know, men are weak and terrible and et cetera. Um, so it's just, it's, I don't like to use the word strident, but that's, if you will, you know, she was somewhat less strident. She was also, and this became like, I think a real key thing in the series. She was also the only member of the Defenders who was interested in thinking of the Defenders as an actual team, Yes. You know, Doctor Strange and uh, Namor and the Hulk were all just like, oh, we just, no, no, we're not a team. You know, we just, every once in a while, we're sort of forced to get together and save the world. But, you know, we just, we're not, we're not going to hang out. We don't have a headquarters. And then Valkyrie's like, well, why not? You know, and so that's sort of became sort of the, the, uh, a major theme in the Defenders series going forward. So that's, that's the Defenders issue four. You know, the Valkyrie. I, the Defenders is one of them Bronze Age titles that don't get enough respect that they should. Sure. And 
recently Marvel's app finally at last they had like a big chunk somewhere around 80 but now they got the whole 150 issues of the defenders right there okay. on the app so it's really okay. uh, it's a good bronze age title because they had a, a lot of they really didn't have much of a set team there was always a recurring rotating cast of characters and there's some really great stuff going on in it. But anyways, you've got more about Marvel to talk about. What else you got about Marvel? Then I'll talk about Marvel for a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the one other thing that I thought was really interesting out of Marvel uh, this month, um, Fantastic Four 131 finally revealed the the answer to a question that had been out there for several months since um, since Roy Thomas's last uh, issue as the writer of Avengers. Uh, in Avengers 104, which I think came out in August, he'd had Quicksilver disappear, basically. He'd had um, something happen to Quicksilver. Quicksilver was lost. The mutant um, speedster, Pietro Maximoff. And, but Thomas was off the book and didn't explain what happened to Pietro. Uh, Steve Englehart picked up with Avengers 105 and immediately started having Pietro's sister, Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, sort of like, you know, hunting, hunting the world for him. Where is Pietro? What happened to him? And then somehow uh, the answer ended up turning up in Fantastic Four 131, which is now um, Fantastic Four is now being written by Roy Thomas. And uh, as it turned out, Quicksilver was in the great refuge of the Inhumans. And he had taken up with Crystal of the Inhumans, who's supposed to be johnny storm's girl that really didn't make you know that never that whole arc that they did really didn't seem real kind of seemed like it was forced <laughs> a little bit it's like huh? yeah yeah there's no there's no through line of like you know and right spoilers it's... people they get married <laughs> in issue 150 which again yeah. doesn't really connect with either the characters narratives right. All, yeah, it just period. it just it does sort of seem to come out of out of no place. It's it's been interesting. Um, I blogged about this one probably just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's got a lot of a lot of response. I mean, there are still a lot of us, you know, aging geezer fanboys, and I think you know just have not been able to get over Crystal dumping Johnny in 1972. And it's like, you know, what what does she? Uh, you know, why did, why did she see in Pietro? Because, I mean, he's such a sort of a kind of a jerk, you know, or at least that that, that was my feeling. I had he's still a push, jerk. He's still a I had people of... push, you know, yeah. I didn't push him back on the, um, pushing back in the in the comments on my blog post. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't always a jerk. He was just overprotective of Wanda, maybe, but he was, you know, he, I always he, wasn't, liked, he wasn't so bad. <laughs> I liked his relationship with Wanda. He's always, that was, that was always a very clear relationship, even to, right. Years, the decade, you know, when Wanda sure. was going through stuff through in the House of M and all that stuff, he was always there for Wanda, and that actually all made sense. Right. So, yes. Anything it, else? It just, it's, yeah, it's not, these aren't necessarily, this isn't necessarily like a great comic book. Um, like you said, it's sort of just is like, you know, what's, yeah, how does this connect to what we know about these characters and, you know, why and, um, but Chris, it's, it's, it's a really good example of something that's sort of not not nearly as much obviously as like the death of Gwen Stacy and American and Amazing Spider Man that's coming yes. out a few years after this, but still something that you know for fans who were reading then who who felt you know invested in these characters, this is something that they remember as as a big deal. So you know, and for, Crystal, for 
Crystal for years had been a member of the Fantastic Four. She'd been a supporting mm-hmm. player going back to like when the humans first appeared. I forget what issue. So yeah, this was kind of a wow, kind of another little whiplash moment for a lot of the fans. That yeah, you're correct about that. Yes, I I don't think you got anything else for Marvel that month. Do you? I don't. I don't. Not for November. You know, I Marvel always has during this period some wonky, crazy things coming out. Uh, I think one of the episodes. Um, last time around, maybe they did a three issue movie magazine of all things, and it was like, huh? And, <laughs> and there's, I know there were some other little like, huh? And right. This, and this month's around, our ha huh moment is this really weird little comic book, which wasn't an Archie comic book, it really wasn't a Harvey comic book, and it was called Little Kids. Mm-hmm. Only it only went on for another two issues, and a lot of the issues before that were of uh, a reprints of a Golden Age comic, and some of the covers were by Stan Goldberg, which is mm-hmm. a person nobody knows about, but really, right? Oh, Google Stan Goldberg. He was very important to Marvel during the '60s. He had a huge impact. He was very, you know, a very underappreciated creator. Then, but anyway. So this particular issue introduces a young black boy named Calvin. And I give Marvel a lot of credit for creating a lot of black characters during the 70s, Black Alive, getting Black Panther's own series, Mm -hmm. and even Luke Cage. But this character was like, huh? What? Even the whole series just was like, and it's, it's, you can't get it anywhere. It, it's I, I doubt it even exists. Hard, it would probably be very, very hard to find even in a Bath issue bin. But I just right. saw the cover and I'm going, what the, what were you thinking, people? What was the, <laughs> what was the genesis? And if you go look at the wiki or something, there's absolutely no information about this. And I was just like, wow. And Marvel had a history through the Bronze and the Silver Age of not giving their characters their own titles. You know, right. And it was really kind of weird because, like, right now it was Astonishing Tale starring Kazar. Right. Why don't you just make it Kazar? You know? Well, and, eventually they did. Eventually yeah. They did. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> they did that a lot, like Marvel Spotlight or uh, Marvel, sure. whatever, starring, you know, even Marvel Features starring. The, well, they, uh, I can't use that because they, they actually took um, the Defenders and actually did spin them off into their own books. So that, that was a, a wrong thing for me to do. But Kazar at this time, uh, they did something which they do every so often in the Kazar mythos, where they take mm-hmm. Kazar out of the Savage Land and throw him into New York right. City. Right. And this is a little different Kazar. First off, Shanna, his future wife, is not even part of the Kazar mythos. Right. Right. And for this issue, her short lived uh, Shanna the She Devil series got released. The second issue, this was part of Marvel's pitch to get more female readers on board. Right didn't work right. it was shanna night nurse and the cat where they had a lot of female creators writing mm-hmm. female characters you got to give marvel credit for being yeah. different and creative but in this title one of the supporting players which nobody really thought about at the time was bobby morris right right you know she was a supporting character she would later go on to become mockingbird part of the yep. avengers and hawkeye's wife and right. even part of the Avengers MCU, mm-hmm. you know, um, storyline. Right. Uh, so before I wrap up my Marvel, you know, I, 
it was odd because Marvel was like, I'm kind of bored with Marvel this month. <laughs> I, 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 I'm like, I'm getting nothing here. There's nothing that excited me. <laughs> but I do want to touch upon another great publisher that no longer exists. You can't find their comic books. I don't know who owns the rights right now at all, but it's Harvey Comics. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to own the rights to Casper and and Richie and little Rich Richie Rich and, and Wendy you know, and Spooky all, and all that stuff. stuff. And I really think there would be a market to digitize some of those old class because I mean mm-hmm. they at one time during the se- uh, late seventies and early eighties they were cranking out the titles. I mean there yes. was they yes. was a, especially Richie Rich. I mean they were I. I would have to go and look, but there was just a huge, enormous, enormous. Let me go yeah. quick. And I'm eating a podcast time. And people <laughs> are like, you know, and, and I'm always telling you, Alan, get to the point. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't dawdle. And here I am. <laughs> do I dawdle? <laughs> and I can't. You know, I you probably do. But yes, I mean, you can just, if you just look at the, uh, you know, the Mike's amazing world. It's just yes. like Richie Rich just goes on and on. On and on. You know, and they had sad Richie Rich Frank book, Richie Rich yep. Diamonds, Richie Rich Dollars and Cents. Exactly. You know, and the dog and profits and, and you know, and then you had the Casper and Wendy the Witch and Sad Sack. But nobody sad remembers sack. nobody remembers these stories anymore. And it's sad because they really did more than any other publisher, even Archie, Harvey really was the kids comic publisher and when harvey went out of business nobody did kids comic books for many many years you know uh marvel 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 and dc did not do kids comics i remember reading stuff in the the brown or the i'm sorry after crisis and into the 80s and 90s like there's no way in any world i would give a kid an amazing (laughs) spider-man or a daredevil comic book or a detective Uh. comic book and it's it's sad that something like Harvey just has faded to existence. I think this time around we've wrapped up finally, Alan. Yeah. Last, I think we've wrapped up November of 1972. Alan's blog is a fantastic read, folks. You got to go check it out. Look at the back blogs. He's very uh, informative, very thorough in his research. Before we wrap this up, Alan, do you have any final comments? I think we've covered it today, Ryan. Alan from Attack of the 50-Year-Old Comic Book. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. We'll be back Always again taping. I'm, you're one of my favorite guests, and you know that. Not because <laughs> I took forever to get you back on. But, Alan, thanks again. <laughs> we'll have you on again to do the last month of the year, December 1972. Have a great day, Alan. You, you too, Ron. Take care. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, a fantastic comic fan, at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.